Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes every Sunday and Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was the desire to talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. This is a Sunday morning sobriety episode where I discuss all things related to physical and emotional sobriety. As always, it's important to remind everyone that I am not an expert or the final word on addiction, sobriety, or recovery. I began this series to share my experience, strength, and hope for anyone who is on a journey of physical or emotional sobriety. We are exploring step eight today, and I'll share some of my own thoughts and reflections on the step, followed by some good questions and journal prompts for anyone interested in doing some of their own work on this topic. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. One of the reasons that these steps are so impactful for those of us who work them is that they break things down into manageable increments. I've shared in previous Sunday morning sobriety episodes that an issue for people exploring recovery is that in the beginning, we tend to overshoot the mark. And we do this for several reasons. We do this to alleviate our personal responsibility by creating such a mess or so much chaos that we can then tell ourselves, oh, well, I guess that's too tough, or I made such a mess that I can't fix it now. The power of step eight is that it was written by physically and emotionally sober members of our community, and they knew the lies that we were about to say before we even said them. They knew every trick that we had up our sleeves to avoid difficult situations or to shirk responsibility. And if they had told us on the very first day that we had to make amends immediately to every single person we had ever harmed, we would have run away and never looked back. Instead, they've eased us into this process, and they've ensured that we have a strong foundation of recovery under our feet, that we have a spirit of community and service, and that we have new emotional tools to choose from. Step eight is a great reminder of all those little 12-step slogans that you hear in meetings like, First things first, or be where your feet are, or take it one day at a time, and keep coming back. I've heard a lot of people make fun of these slogans, and I wanted to pause and say something about that. If you've never worked with people who are struggling with alcoholism, or substance misuse, or a plethora of other addictions, you may not understand how traumatized people are when they walk through the door. People don't seek out 12-step programs because they've been having a fairly good year and just wanted a tune-up. People crawl through the doors. So instead of expecting them to comprehend everything all at once, we have acronyms, we have slogans, and we even have very clear chapter titles so that this information is accessible to everyone. I used to sign up for a lot of H&I commitments when I lived in Los Angeles. And H&I is when you bring 12-step meetings to hospitals and institutions where people are either in prison or in a psychiatric ward on a hold, like a 5150. So after work, I would walk into a lockdown psychiatric ward to set up a meeting, to share my own story, and to answer questions. And if you do not know what that door sounds like, when it locks you into that floor, then you probably can't imagine how the people I was speaking to were feeling. 
Breaking this program down into manageable steps is key, and it's also compassionate because our egos can rise up and we can begin to evaluate someone's worthiness or belonging in this program. The steps remind us to stay out of judgment and simply focus on making this program as accessible as we possibly can to as many people as we can, no matter what state they're in. If someone is detoxing and hallucinating, I can still show up and share a message of hope and recovery with them. And that's where the slogans come in. So if you have any other questions about the slogans or why everything is broken down, you can always DM me and I can share my perspective. But that's my take on it for today. Okay, so back to step eight. This step taps into the work that we did in step four. We did a fourth step inventory where we touched on so many different areas of our lives. We did a thorough resentment inventory and we explored our relationships with people and institutions. We did a sex inventory where we reviewed our intimate relationships and assessed the harm that we caused and what we could have done instead. We also wrote down a fear inventory, which at times can challenge our ability to be honest and self-reflect almost more than any other part of these inventories. And these inventories are not a one-time event. If we work a program of recovery in earnest, we will continue to take personal inventories throughout our life. So this is a tool. It's not a punishment. It's a tool for living. These inventories are our foundation as we embark on step eight. So we reference step four to see where we need to make our amends. I always like to put pen to paper to actually write out these lists. And the way that I do it is I make four columns on a piece of paper. The first column is where we write the names of the people we are going to make amends to right now. The second column is where we write the names of people that we are going to make partial amends to. Maybe we can't cover every single fracture in the relationship, but we can make a start. So an example of that is if we owe someone money, we can easily tell ourselves, well, I can't pay them back in full today, so I just give up. Instead, this step reminds us that we can begin to start chipping away at the wreckage of our past. And if we owe someone $10,000, we can begin to make amends by sending them $10 every week. It's not about a big, grandiose apology. It's about humility. This step is all about humility and connection. The third column is where we write the names of people that we feel we cannot make amends to right now, but that we will definitely make amends to later. So this is an act of willingness that is indicative of our emotional growth in this process. When we first came into recovery, we probably knew right away that there were things that we couldn't apologize for, or we simply refused to apologize for, either because of fear or pride. But by writing down the names of the people we believe we should make amends to, even if we can't bring ourselves to do it right now, we are slowly opening the door to possibility later on. The fourth and final column is where we write the names of the people that we don't believe that we can ever be able to make direct personal contact with or make amends with. Maybe that person has died. Maybe they have a restraining order against us. 
Maybe we are afraid of legal repercussions. Or we realize that by making amends, we would actually cause more harm and would only serve to alleviate our guilt by re-traumatizing someone. What do we do? We put their names on this list anyway, and we don't get ahead of ourselves. In my experience, our higher power works things out behind the scenes so that we do, in fact, find ways to make amends or to make living amends. And I'm going to explore making living amends in the next Sunday morning sobriety episode, which will focus on step nine. And if you're at this point and you are still struggling with the idea of actually making amends and all you can think of is what other people did to deserve the way that you treated them or the way that you harmed them, if you are distracted by pointing fingers instead of focusing on cleaning up your side of the street, a great thing to do is to look at your list and begin asking yourself questions to remove these ego blocks. And those questions sound like, were you kind, tolerant, and considerate of others? Were you mean-spirited, impatient, and selfish? What were your motives when dealing with family members, friends, and co-workers? Were you only concerned with getting what you wanted and not with what was right? Did you pour out self-pity on those from whom you thought you could extract sympathy? And by asking ourselves these questions, we actually form a more complete list of people who we can make amends to now or in the future. And it's a really helpful template for all of our relationships. So what does it actually look like or sound like to make amends? Honestly, I think that's different for everyone. And as with every other aspect of sobriety, we are focused on progress, not perfection. So for me personally, making amends means making progress beyond the way of thinking that put me in these situations to begin with. And that means stepping out of selfishness or self-seeking behavior and connecting with other people. That's why our amends are not just simple apologies. We do our very best to repair what it is that we broke. Our past behavior stole things from people. It stole time, trust, safety, comfort, and reliability. We did some real harm. So we can't just shrug and say, oh, I'm sorry that you feel hurt. And knowing that making amends can be emotional, triggering, scary, or uncomfortable means that we can rely on some of the tools that we gained in this process to set ourselves up to suit up, show up, and really take responsibility. Preparation is an act of willingness that is often overlooked. And because this step specifically says, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, we can and should prepare. A way that I like to prepare is to break down each of the amends into six clear steps. One, I'm sorry. Two, here's my understanding of how I hurt you. Three, have I harmed you in ways that I am not aware of? Four, I will never do this again. Five, here's how I'm going to make this right. Six, please forgive me. Now, if we know that we have done all that we can to take this step 
with integrity, compassion, and understanding for the person that we have harmed, we can take whatever comes our way. That may be forgiveness and understanding, that may be anger or mistrust, but whatever it is, we can trust that we are on a path to healing. So the biggest takeaway in this step is that it is perfectly natural for our ego, pride, resentments, fears, judgments, blame, and anger to rise up. So when it happens, we can be prepared for them. It is normal to try and justify the harm that we caused or to attempt to rationalize why we were the victims and we had no other choice. And whenever this happens, I always think about something that an old-timer shared with me in a meeting once. He said, I want you to know that if you're explaining something, if you're defending something, if you're justifying something, or if you're rationalizing something, then you're wrong because you never have to explain, defend, justify, or rationalize what's right. So some questions that I have for you this week that you can use as you work on this step or while journaling are as follows. Are there resentments in the way of my willingness to make amends? Am I hesitating in any way before working on the eighth step? And if so, why? Why is it valuable to determine the exact nature of my wrongs? Why is it so essential that I am very clear about my responsibility? Are there people to whom I owe an amends who may be a threat to my safety or about whom I am concerned in some other way? Why is simply saying, I'm sorry, not sufficient to repair the damage that I have caused? Why is only changing my behavior not sufficient to repair the damage that I've caused? What consequences do I fear in making amends? What is the worst thing that can happen? What is the best thing that can happen? And what is likely to happen? Do I have amends to make that are financial and therefore I do not want to make them? Can I imagine what my life would be like if I had already made these amends? Do I have amends to make to people who have also harmed me? Do I feel angry or resentful towards any people on my amends list? What important relationships did I destroy or damage because of my addictive behaviors? How much time and energy have I lost because of my addictive behaviors? And finally, what do I think I would have done or become had it not been for my addictive behaviors? Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram and TikTok for daily journal prompts at love letters and mixtapes. If you enjoy this episode, consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast. You can scroll down to the notes section of this episode or click the link in my Instagram bio.